Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that this morning as we open your word that you would be with us. That, Lord, you would be with me and help me to speak clearly. Oh, God, help me not to say or do anything that would get in the way of the message of this text. And so, God, I pray that you would watch over me, watch over my mind and my mouth, Father, I pray. And, Lord, I ask that you would be with everyone who listens. That, God, you would enable all to hear the truth of your word and the truth concerning your Son in such a way that it would cause us all to bow down before him and worship and believe upon him completely for our salvation. And this I ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I went to bed last night with a migraine, and I woke up with one this morning. And so if, if uh, I only say that to say that if I act weird or say anything weird, it's the medicine, it's not me. Okay. <laughs> Sure, I'll be fine once I get going, but I just wanted to give you that little, little just in case. <laughs> a few years ago, while uh, preparing for another Christmas sermon, I read something from a preacher I really like named Daniel Emery Price. His congregation was preparing to take the Lord's Supper on Christmas Eve, and he said this. He said, Christmas is the perfect time to partake of the Lord's Supper. Christ's body is first laid in a manger a place for creatures to come and eat. The images from what we call the Christmas story have meaning. And on this, the third Sunday of Advent, we turn our attention to the place where Mary first laid her baby, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, and I'll begin at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ never gets old. It, it wasn't just the birth of any child. It was the eternal Son of God becoming human flesh and entering the world after being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a young virgin girl named Mary? How can you ever quit talking about that? How could something like that ever get old? Mary wasn't married when she got the news from the angel Gabriel. She was betrothed, very serious engagement, uh, to a decent man named Joseph. 
who to keep her from being disgraced by the situation was going to break off their betrothal, betrothal privately. But then an angel visited him in a dream also and told him that Mary's story was true. And so as they're dealing with all that, all that's going on throughout those months of pregnancy, the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, for all intents and purposes, the ruler of the world at that time, the Roman Empire, took a census to register people for taxes. That's what that was for. And a man named Quirinius was the governor of Syria, which was the region of Rome that ruled over Palestine at that time. And Jesus' earthly parents were obedient to the decree from the emperor to go back to Joseph's hometown and register for the census. That is going to result in extremely humble circumstances surrounding the birth of the king of kings, right? He was born into human history at a certain time when an emperor who was also called the emperor of peace was in power. His ascension to power brought an end to a very long period of civil unrest in the Roman Empire. That is what was going on in our world when the prince of peace was born. And Luke 2 is the context for this very brief, actually, and simple account of his birth. If Mary and Joseph were traveling from Nazareth and bypassed Samaria, which they most likely would have done, it was about a 90-mile trip by foot and donkey to get about seven miles south or southwest of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. This was all desert terrain. So an extremely comfortable and pleasant trip by donkey and foot especially if you're nine months pregnant or so. What woman in this room doesn't want to hitch a donkey ride in their ninth month of pregnancy and hobble across the desert? That would be great. But these moments were driven by by the hand of God. Every detail, right? Every detail. God is in control of all of this. Bethlehem was an obscure little town, and the baby about to be born is going to be born in very quiet humble and unimpressive circumstances. But God is about to enter human history in person here. That's what's happening. Caesar Augustus, the decree of Caesar Augustus, who didn't know about any of this, right? He didn't have any clue what he was being used by God to do. That decree brought Mary and Joseph back to the city of David. So the decree of a pagan world ruler brought the parents of Jesus back to the town where God had promised through His Old Testament prophets that a star, a ruler, would rise. And on a night like unlike any other in the world, and yet so much like any other in the world, He was about to be born. A son was about to be given. Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the great Roman Empire. But one day the government of this of the cosmos would be on the shoulders of this little baby. And His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Roman Empire would eventually fall. It would crumble like every other world power always has and eventually always will. Nothing here on the earth lasts forever. No rule, no authority lasts forever. But Jesus isn't from here. And of the increase of His government and of peace, the Scripture says, there will be no end. Every single time a lost person is found anywhere in the world by the grace of Jesus, the peace of Jesus brought to humanity increases all the more. And so the passion of God to make His glory great in the universe through Jesus is the guarantee that all of this will be accomplished. But the story of His birth is told with great simplicity. Right? Most of us know 
the little details of the story just by virtue of the Christmas songs we sing or the paintings or the nativity scenes, the spiritual aspect that we've given to this day as part of its history and our culture. But if we're being technical, the, the wise men, of course, they weren't there that night. Um, they arrived a few years later. We, we actually... We actually don't know why. We don't know how long they were there before she gave birth, but we don't know why Mary and Joseph were in a stable, technically speaking. Just because there was no room for them in the end doesn't mean they searched and searched for a place while she was in labor, and literally the only place they could find that night was a place where animals slept and ate and whatever else animals do. We don't actually read that anywhere. The text doesn't speculate, and the text doesn't give us the impression at all that there was this really nasty innkeeper who shooed them away we sing silent night holy night that's one of my favorite christmas songs i love that song but i've been to four labor and deliveries in my life none of them have been quiet (laughs) silent and holy are probably not the words i would pick to describe it to an outsider right it hurt Mary went into labor while they were in Bethlehem. Labor hurts. It hurt. She was in pain. There was no traveling epidural service to call on. And when babies are born, they cry. Right? Baby Jesus was fully God. He was also fully human. He probably cried. Born like every single one of us was born. It hurt. It was messy. He was probably crying. They were in an animal stable. It was difficult, right? We want to clean up that moment because it's Jesus, but it was a simple, that's God's design. He, he, he could have had it happen in a, in, a, in a palace and all these things, but he didn't. This is where it happened. This is, it was a normal, probably very difficult birth, right? You know, which is precisely what makes it so holy. The baby's identity is what made it so amazing, not the circumstances. Jesus wasn't born with a halo. He wasn't the magic floating baby that we see in paintings. He wasn't European, right? They weren't singing Christmas songs in Latin that night. Mary was in pain. Joseph was a nervous father. He probably had a ton of questions. Her time came, and for reasons we don't know, she gave birth in a stable. And like any other baby, she held him close probably. She, she probably snuggled him and kissed his little head and shushed him, right? She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, all these cloths, wrapped him up in uh, tightly in that, probably the Jewish version of if you've seen how they wrap up babies now in the hospital, that little burrito blanket that's so cute. She laid him in a little manger, an empty feeding trough. That's what it was. Imagine holding what you know is divinely come to you this is the son of god and you're where are we going to lay him and and what's empty is the trough and that's where you put him and so came the birth of the son of god into the world and beloved jesus we must remember this jesus didn't begin to exist in this moment he had always been he had always been in the mystery of what we call the Trinity, the second person of the Godhead. This is God the Son. There's something way beyond our understanding. But in this moment that God had appointed in history, He became a human baby in the womb of Mary. Right? There was a nine-month literal pregnancy here by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He grew throughout a normal gestation period. And He came when it was time. And in this moment, lying in a place where animals eat, was the Son of God from heaven and the Son of David from earth. 
Jesus was born into this world in a room normally reserved for animals. A stable literally was his first throne room. And I just ask us this morning for a few moments to focus on the question, why? Why here? Why like this? Why does it go down like that? Again, there's actually nothing in the account of in any of the Gospels that tells us this was their only option. Right? I'm sure when you think about it, it's, it's highly unlikely that this was the only place they could give birth. It's just where they happened to end up because the inn was full when they were looking that night. Probably not because uh, there was literally no place else to go, but because she's in labor. That's not a lot of time for wiggle room or negotiation. Uh, I, I remember when our Sophia was born, uh, my wife woke me up and it was time to go. There was nothing to talk about. There was nothing to decide. It was time to go. Get dressed. The baby's coming. We're leaving, right? There's no like, what do you think we should wear? Should we get dressed? What should we do? No. It's just, you just, we're going. You get in the car. It was time to have the baby. And that night, for whatever reason, that was the place they found. But, but just, again, I know we know this story so well. But just for a few moments here, can we consider the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, always existing. Here is a baby lying in a manger. And, and, and he's literally a baby. It's not like in his mind he's looking around like, I'm, I'm supposed to be a baby, but I'm not really a baby. No, he's a baby, right? Twice in this text, he's, he's lying in a manger. That's twice in this text we see that detail. Verse 7 and verse 12. In fact, what's amazing is the sign that this baby that this was the baby the angels told the shepherds about, is the fact that he would be wrapped in these cloths, lying in a manger. Again, think about that. It wasn't like there were tons of babies lying in mangers that night in Bethlehem. The angels didn't have to say, it's, it's gonna be, you're, you're going to want to go left here, and it's that manger and that baby. No, no, no. There's one baby in the whole place that they would find lying in a manger. The sign is that there was a baby lying in a manger. Signs point to things, don't they? That's what signs do. They tell you things. They point to things. Here are the manger points to the identity of the child. They would know it was the Savior who is Christ the Lord because He would be lying in a manger. Maybe it's not just a minor, meaningless detail that the first place the Savior lay down in this world was a place where animals come to eat. There are reasons for all of this. There's a reason that Jesus was born into this world, the Son of God, perfect, holy, eternal, unchanging, indescribably beautiful, is born into this world, a world that was and still is broken and fallen and filled with evil and war and poverty and abuse. God the Son willingly chose to take on the form of a human being and enter this human world with all of its mess and all of its sinfulness. Yes, the world has its good points. I understand that. And it's good things, wonderful things. But it is broken. Something is wrong with us. But Jesus came to fix it. This baby would grow up and become a man. And after 30 years or so living among us and being a part of us, He began to preach and do miracles. And to proclaim this message called the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, saying that it was time to repent, to change your mind about God and your relationship to Him and follow this new king and walk in His ways. 
than to buy that salvation for people because we couldn't afford it, not with all our money, not with all the good deeds in the world. He offered up His life as a sacrificial payment for our sins. And then God raised Him from the dead, literally, in a move just as, if not more miraculous, as His conception inside of Mary's tummy, to proclaim to the world that God had accepted Jesus' payment on our behalf, to let the universe know that this Jesus was precisely who He claimed to be. And since that day, all who believe in Him, who see Him as Savior and change their mind about God because His Spirit awakens and enables them to do it, every single one that believes is saved from the wrath of God, saved from the wages of sin, from the futility and meaninglessness of life, and are made God's child forever. All of that is true, but the first night He spent on earth, He spent lying in a manger, a place for creatures to come and eat. The first place the Savior was viewed by anyone outside His immediate family was a manger. And it's not a complimentary image per se, is it? When we think about what we're implying, when I keep saying that a place for animals to come and eat. But let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves for a few moments here, just to ourselves. We know what we are. We know what we are. We all know what we do or have done. We might even know that God is gracious, but I hope none of us in here think that we're actually good all the way down to the core. I think for most of us, what we see when we look inside is not something we're always proud of. But from the moment of His birth, from the moment of His birth, by God's design deliberately, lying there in a manger, Jesus has been saying to those of us that feel the distance, between ourselves and Him. Come to me. Come and have me. Come and feast on me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God designed this moment so that we would know His Son was being given to us for our salvation, for us to come to Him, animals all, and have life. There would be another night, wouldn't there? When this baby had grown up and gathered his disciples together for the Passover feast the night before he was crucified. When Jesus took a piece of flat bread from the table and ripped it in half, prayed and said, this is my body, it's about to be broken for you. Remember me when you eat this. He picked up a cup of red wine and said, this is my blood and it's about to be poured out for you. Remember me when you drink this. I'm going to make a covenant, a new covenant between God and humans tomorrow and I'm going to seal it for you with my blood. Later, the Apostle Paul would reiterate the necessity of this supper, calling us all to remember the Lord's death for us. It's how we got our lives, even though we were sinners, someone bought them for us, someone saved us. We didn't save ourselves, we couldn't. That's what makes it so beautiful. So on Christmas night, the first place they put Him is a place for animals to come and eat. And we may not like to think of ourselves in this self-praising day and age as animals, but what they are physically, all of us are spiritually. We aren't worthy. We aren't clean. By nature, we're slaves to the desires of our hearts and minds, just like animals are. 
which is why they tend to act like animals, and that's why humans tend to act like humans. Humans are rebels against God. They're born that way. And yet there is Jesus lying in a manger to symbolize the truth of salvation, just as the Lord's Supper symbolizes this truth, preparing us for the fact that one day He would give Himself up as a sacrifice where human creatures could come and eat. They could take Jesus by believing on Him. That's what we mean. We don't mean anything weird. We mean by believing on Him and finally be satisfied. Jesus is living water. He never runs dry. He's the bread of life. He never runs out. If if you feel weight in your soul right now, a desire to be made right with God, that isn't coming from you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, conceiving new life in you by a completely supernatural miracle. The angel said to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Do we know this morning who it is that God is pleased with on the earth? All that come to the Son for salvation. All that come to the One who first lay in a manger for them. The manger was a sign of who Jesus was. That is, it was a sign of God's grace for sinners. It still is. It still is. He's not there anymore. He'll never be there again. But that's what it was a sign of. He is still the Savior. He is still what our souls must partake of by believing in Him in order to have life. So come to Jesus this morning. You can come down front if that's what you want to do as we sing here in just a few moments, but you need to know that Jesus is accessible from anywhere. right? From anywhere. And if you've called out to Him for salvation in your seat, if you... Go home and call out to Him there. Please come and tell us. Please come and tell us. And if you do know Him, if He is yours already today, as we've gathered in this place, see Him again this morning, just for a moment, lying in that manger for you. No, He's not there anymore, but that's where He started here. That was the first sign. Offering up Himself to be taken so that we might have life, so that all of us might come to Jesus, to the one who gave his life, that we might know him. Let's pray together and then we'll sing and I'll be down front if any of you want to come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And I pray, Father, that everyone has been able to hear. Lord, we know that we do not literally partake of Jesus when we come. It's not that. But Father, what it symbolizes is that to believe on Christ is the salvation and life that our souls so desperately need and cannot have anywhere or in anyone else. And so Father, I pray for the unbelieving now, God, that You would draw them, that You would call on them to come and that they would come. They would come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to partake of Him for their souls. And Father, for those that do believe, Father, how I pray that You would hold them up and strengthen them and remind them today during this time of year how it is that we got our salvation, who it is that sustains us, who it is that gives us life. 
And so, Father, I pray and ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.